Well, thank you, Angela, for leading us so well this morning and team. It was lovely to be once again together in God's presence. And you just never quite know what's going to happen when we worship God. Now, I don't know if, Joe, is your prop of the trellis here? Can you just, because it's a good, I meant to ask you about that, but I forgot, obviously. Um, so as we know, we have been working through, um, for the last few weeks and on to the next number of months, we're working through um, a series on spiritual formation. And basically, it's just being, learning how the practices that we have in our life transform us into the image of Christ and for the sake of others. And so it's not just about me, myself, and I, my three favorite people, but it's about others, right? And so we are attempting to give some shape and some design to what God is asking of us in terms of our lifestyle and how we can adjust our lifestyles to, um, I guess, be more connected with what God is doing so we can see what God is doing. But in order to do that, we obviously have to be able to be in a place in our own personal lives where we can quiet ourselves in order to be able to hear what God is saying to us. And so, last week, uh, Joe actually, we've spent a few weeks, maybe four or five messages um, in the basics of uh, formation, just what it is, what it isn't, what's unintentional spiritual formation, what's intentional spiritual formation. And last week, Joe really kicked us off on the first of the practices that, <clears throat> that we are uh, to hold dear in our lives, and that is uh, the practice of spending time in God's Word and, and understanding the dynamics of God's Word and how important God's Word is. And I'm going to ask Barb if she can bring my clicker up to me. I just realized I left it on the seat. Oh, I know. It's like, I told you, I'm a, I'm a disheveled mess this morning. Uh, everything's, everything's gone. It's, anyway, so last week, Joe was talking about um, the importance of God's Word in our life. And today, I want to talk uh, a little bit about the basics of the second or one of the second aspects of formation, and that is of prayer. And prayer is really uh, a practice that we don't want to say is isolated on its own, but each of the practices that we're talking about, so God's Word and prayer, they actually go together. So in my own personal life, um, I find my practices for uh, reading God's Word are tightly enmeshed with my prayer life. That's just the way it is. Like, it, they all go together. But we, I am teaching this morning. I'm going to isolate prayer a little bit. But just, just so that you understand and know, I'm going to knock stuff over here. Someone's going to make a comment about my big butt. Did I just say that? Yeah. But basically, hopefully it's going to work. There we go. What is our experience of prayer. What is your experience of prayer? What's my experience of prayer? How's my prayer life? How's your prayer life? If we're honest, how many would say without a show of hands that you find your prayer life challenging? 
How many would find it challenging? How many would find, if you're honest, that your prayer life, or that when, when, even when you heard, I'm going to speak on prayer this morning, it's like, oh, yawn, boring. Like, really, let's be honest. How many, when you think of prayer, you think of prayer as being a duty, something that you have to do? I mean, where do I start with it? Like, where do we actually begin when it comes to prayer? It should come as no surprise to us that we have these thoughts that go through our minds. I mean, really, the, our experience of prayer has to do really with our own, I guess, our day-to-day walk with our attempts to connect with God. And sometimes, if we're not careful, these can be our experiences. The reality of prayer is that there are challenges. So I don't want to dismiss the fact that there are challenges to prayer. There are distinct issues when it comes to prayer. First off, we've got to talk about distraction. We live in a culture, much less, don't even talk about your own personal life, but when we think about the world around us, we are living in a world that's built on distraction. I mean, billions of dollars are spent by major technology, technology companies to intentionally distract you, and yes, to intentionally addict you to their technology platforms. If you haven't watched it, I urge you to watch it. It'll be a big reality check. If you haven't watched it, watch the documentary called The Social Dilemma. It'll be like, no, this can't be true. Yeah, it's true. That technology companies spend billions over billions of dollars to intentionally program their social media platforms to hook you and grab you and suck you in, basically. And the whole intention is to do that. And they're overt about it. They don't even hide it. And so, you know, you, you really have to understand that, you know, this is not a conspiracy. It's up front. This is our job. You are the product. So when it comes right down to it, digital distraction is a big deal. It's a big deal. I was speaking with somebody yesterday. We were just texting back and forth, and we were um, in our conversation. We were talking about being careful about clicking on certain posts in social media, because if we do, it'll set off an algorithm that'll keep pushing associated posts to us, and we don't want that. So it's, it's like, it's one of those things where you just have to be continually mindful of the fact that distraction is going to be fired at us from all sides, especially when it comes to technology. I mean, I'm not even talking about other forms of technology. I'm just talking about social media. We also have very busy lives, don't we? Our lives are full. I mean, I went for a, I went for a walk with Ben McGuigan this week, full disclosure. I went for a walk with Ben. I've been trying to connect with Ben, and as you know, Ben and Jill have just had their seventh, yes, their seventh child. Right? One for every day of the week. I mean, they, they have seven children. I mean, I, I, full respect and props, right? I mean, he even, he even bought a bus to cart his kids around in. 
But so we went out for a walk, and we were walking around, and so in my semi-retired brain, I'm thinking, I'm going to go for a walk with Ben. It's going to be, it's going to be really relaxing. And I, reality check, Ben comes out with the stroller with the little one, right? And we got the baby with us, you know? I was like, man, this guy's got a busy life. He's got all kinds of stuff going on. He was just unpacking the nature of his full life to me. And it's like, it's unlike anything I've ever known in my existence. I have no concept of the fullness of Ben's life. I really don't. But there's an example of a person who loves God, who's living a busy life. And so where do we fit prayer in this communication that we're talking about, this wonderful habit in this formation process? Where do, how does that fit? And then not to mention, we have, we're surrounded by a secular culture that is completely devoid of any kind of even mention of the fact that God would exist. God has been written out of the cultural narrative. If you haven't figured it out, I mean, when is the last time you watched any kind of show, whether it's Netflix, TV, or wherever it is, where the, the idea, even the idea of God is mentioned, and if it is mentioned, it's mentioned in a derogatory way. The whole existence and, and involvement of God in our lives is devoid in our culture. I mean, Jesus has been written out of his own birthday in our culture. Seriously. It's a look, take a look around. No, I'm not, I'm, this is not a, I'm not moaning about it. I'm just saying that's the reality. It's because we live in a culture that has set itself out from any kind of mooring with respect to faith. And we can't underscore enough the fact that all of these are enhanced, all these challenges are enhanced in that we have an enemy who wars against us. And his primary motive, his primary objective is to keep us from relationship with Jesus. It's to cut off relationship. That's what he does. That's what he wants to do. That's what he did in the garden. He's the father of lies. And so he will lie to you by various ways and means to keep you from developing what is intended to be a beautiful relationship with a loving God who is crazy about you and crazy about me. He's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. And as I said in my message a few weeks ago, we are living in a culture where the pervading spirit is the spirit of the age, and the spirit of the age is the spirit of this enemy that I'm talking about right now. That's the pervading spirit. And so he's the father of lies. And of course, all of this leads and breeds in us the fact that we are digitally distracted, the fact that we have busy lives, the fact that we're, we have I didn't even mention our disordered desires. The fact that we, have a, we live in a secular culture 
and the, the fact that we have an enemy that wars against us, it can lead to a cynicism in our lives, can't it? We can become very cynical. And it breeds a suspicion, and it robs us of the sense that there's wonder in the universe. That is, that God's presence and his involvement with us is even active. So prayer 101, what is it, what's its effect, and what it isn't? And so Paul Miller, there's a a really great book on prayer that Paul Miller wrote. And in his book, he says, prayer is simply, if you want to know what it is, it's simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. So taking it right down to the bars at the lowest level, we start at the lowest place. Prayer is simply communicating with God and experiencing Him. It's not just communicating In a two-dimensional way, it's experiencing him in every dimension that we can. Terry Virgo says this, that prayer, and this is what prayer isn't, it isn't whistling in the dark. More on that in a few minutes. It's responding to God himself and what God has promised so that Uh, So the more scripture-soaked you are, oh, we're connecting to Joe's message last week, so the more scripture-soaked you are, the more meaningful your prayer will be, it will become conversational. You see, it's not just, prayer is not just speaking to God, it's actually speaking with God. It's having a two-way conversation. It's a beautiful thing. So, we have to understand that the practices of reading God's word and prayer, they're not just an end to themselves, but there's an objective in all of these things. The objective is to become closer to Jesus in relationship with him. When Barbara and I go out on a date and from time to time we'll go out for dinner My objective is not just to sit there and get information from Barb. And we are talking with one another. But that's not the objective. The objective is I am with her. I am with her in the restaurant. Her presence is with me. I'm enjoying having a meal with her. I'm enjoying her company. And that is the very thing that Jesus wants to do with us. He wants us to enjoy company with him. He wants us to enjoy relationship with him. It's to be a pleasure. It's something that we look forward to. And so in that, our best example for this is simply Jesus. So who's the example that we want to follow? We're going to learn how to pray. Who is it that we want to follow? I think the best one to follow is Jesus. And what did Jesus actually do? In the scriptures, Jesus gives us example after example and example. I've only listed like a few of them here, but there are many examples in the scriptures where Jesus gets away to be with his father. These are just a few of them. In Luke 5, it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But in all the busyness, in all the demands that Jesus was 
was a part of and fulfilling when he was, he was doing the Father's work, what did he do? But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You say, oh, poor Jesus. Oh, poor Jesus. He was, he was, he withdrew to lonely, he was so lonely. That's actually not what the, not what the, the word is intended to express. It's not intending to express, that, oh, poor Jesus. He had it so tough. He must have been wiped out. He, had, he was so lonely. He went to lonely places. He went to the place of quiet. He went to the place where he could be alone with Jesus, or with Father. He went to be with him, and he withdrew, and he knew where his strength came from, and he knew that when he was in a lonely place, when he was in the quiet place, he was being strengthened by being with the Father. In Mark 1, it says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him, and when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. I mean, Jesus was in demand, folks. But Jesus' priority, as much as he loved the people that he served and that he healed and that he delivered and all those things, his priority weren't those people. Because he couldn't help them if he didn't spend time with the Father. And you say, wait a minute, hold on, Carrie. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. What do you mean by that? Jesus set aside his power. He was still divine, but he did not, as it says in Philippians, he did not utilize his power as God, but he was in need of being baptized by the Holy Spirit when the, when the Holy Spirit baptized him, when, when the Father baptized him, he said, Behold my son in whom I am well pleased. The dove descended upon him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in his humanity, I don't understand this, but this is how it works. Jesus had to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit just like you and I. I don't understand that. But that's the reality of it. And so Jesus, when he was weak, when he was tired, when he was spent, when he was exhausted, when he was just had too much, when he was full of giving away everything that the Father had given him, what did he do? He went and he retreated and received more. That's what he had to do. Luke 6, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. I mean, it wasn't just for Jesus. Jesus knew where his strength came, and if necessary, he took the whole night for it. In Luke 9, it says, Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So when Jesus was with the Father, it wasn't just that he was communicating with the Father, but he was actually transformed in his presence. And folks, Jesus is not hanging, this is not like, life is not like us living on a dog track. You know, the racetrack where the dogs would chase the rabbit and never get the rabbit. Jesus is not saying to, oh, you know, I'm going to show you this model here, but it's something you can never attain. Jesus is basically saying, if you spend time with the Father, by by following my model, 
you will be changed. You will be transformed. There will be an impact on your life, and people all around you will know. And that's what's available to us. So our model, it's going to be really simple from here on, folks. The disciples came to Jesus, and they said in in the Gospel of Luke, they said, Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Like, what do we do? So they recognized that there was something about Jesus and the time that he spent with the Father. I mean, this is a regular thing. And they recognized that all of the, the good that Jesus was doing had to come from some kind of power source. And they just, they just deduced that it had to do, was like, has to do with him being alone with the Father. So teach us how to pray. Teach us how to do this. What do we do? And so Jesus in Matthew 6 This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. He didn't say, pray this prayer. He said, this is the model. This is the template for prayer. This is how I do it. This is what I do. This is the pattern of my life. And you follow this same pattern. Now, I grew up in the 60s, going to elementary school in the south end of St. John at St. John the Baptist School, and every day we stood dutifully from grade one to grade six every day, and we recited this prayer every day. Now, I think it was really great. But if we're not careful, reciting that as a prayer can be a form of rote, can it? It can just be something we rattle off. And to be honest, as a kid, that's what I did. And right up into high school, I went to a good Catholic high school, all boys high school. And every day we stood and we said the Our Father, we called it. Oh, we're going to pray the Our Father now. And we get into assemblies. We prayed the, quote, Our Father. Every day in catechism class, we stood before catechism class started at 1130 in the morning, and we prayed the Our Father. But I have to be honest, that wasn't the pattern with which I prayed in my life because I really didn't understand what the whole intention of this prayer was anyway. So we have to figure this one out. And so I want to take just the first half of the Lord's Prayer this morning, just the first half. Some of you are really nervous, like, what do you mean? This, we're just getting started but it's not going to take long, trust me. So just the first half of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's it. That's all we're going to talk about this morning. The other half, we're not going to get into a whole lot this morning at all. The first half is where we want to go, and the first point that I want to emphasize to you in all of the preamble and all of the prelude is this. 
that God is your Father. Our Father. Jesus said, pray this way, our Father. We recognize that God is your Father. God is my Father. It was Jesus' favorite name for God. The Father is who he prayed to. Time does not permit me to get into a teaching on the Trinity, the fact that God is three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to say, I shouldn't, I shouldn't show a hierarchy of this. I should show it more of in a linear fashion. God, the Father, Jesus, and the Son in a beautiful relationship. God is your Father. He's your dad. Jesus wants us to think of God as the same. He, he wouldn't have said our Father if that wasn't his intention. Now, here's the challenge. Some of us have father issues. And the idea of thinking about God as your father is challenging. Because maybe you haven't had the best experience growing up with your dad. Maybe, you know, it's like, I, I really, when you start talking about Gary, when you start talking about having an intimate relationship with Father, that kind of freaks me out. Because that, I'm, I'm thinking about the way my father treated me, and perhaps you're here this morning, and you may have experienced um, a very difficult upbringing. Maybe your father was abusive. Maybe your father was absent, never there. Maybe your father wasn't emotionally absent. He just physically, emotionally, in every way, wasn't there. And if that's your story, if your story sees and limits your experience with God the Father, well, number one, we can help you with that. We can help you understand the reality and the pleasure of knowing God as Father. But for me growing up, and I had a lovely dad, and I still see my dad every week. He's 87 years old. And through my growing up years, my father had a really... It wasn't that he even had a difficult time expressing his love to us as children. He just didn't know how to, it wasn't even on his grid. And his way of expressing his love to us was by provision. But I was never told I was loved. And so when I became a Christian, I brought that view of God, or my, I transposed my relationship with my earthly father onto God the Father, and I had a filter problem. So my filter problem was that basically, because of the distance kind of relationship I had with my father and the intimacy that I didn't have with my earthly father, I kind of projected that onto God so that if God, if you want to use the term, if God, the analogy of God is here, I viewed God through my, or the father, God the father, I viewed my relationship with God the father through the lens of my earthly father's relationship, which impeded and affected negatively how I related to God as father. It wasn't until I received some help, and that's why I say we can help you with this, but if you have some impediments like what I'm talking about, 
We can help you get the order correct, and the Holy Spirit helps us. And so now what it is, is I see my earthly father through the lens of my relationship with God as Father. Changes everything, folks. It changes everything. He is a good dad. He frees us so that we can, Jesus frees us so that we can see the good father that he is. See, God, God the Father is not out to get you. He's not a hard boss running the universe, distant. He's not an energy force that you just, well, I don't know about my relationship with God. He's not this force that you can't relate to. He certainly is not. He is Father, and He loves you as a dad. Secondly, The Father is not only our dad, he's close to us. He's close to us. It says in Romans 5, 5, because God's love has been poured out out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You can't get any closer to God than you are right now. His love has been poured into your hearts. If you know Jesus Christ, His love has been poured out into your hearts. The reality of our nearness through Christ is evident. And it says this in Ephesians 2.13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been what? Brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that encouraging? That we've been brought near to him. He is close to us. He's closer to you than the air you breathe. He's your life source. You see, the objective truth should strengthen us and should encourage us because the objective truth is that God is near to us because God's word says this. And I know it's... It might sound hard, but we have to line up our feelings. We have to line up our emotions. We have to line up our experience and choose to line it up with the Word of God and what the Word of God says. And the Word of God is is encouraging us with the fact that He is close to us. Check out this first few verses from Psalm 139. I mean, what a wonderful wonderful psalm. If you've not read Psalm 139, I invite you to spend time in Psalm 139. Look at the words that are used here about the Father. Searching for me. Perceiving my thoughts. Discerning my going in and out. Before I say anything, he knows every word that's on my tongue. He hems me in from behind and before. He protects me. This knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I mean, it blow, in other words, David here is saying it blows my mind. You see, because Father is near to you and surrounding you with his love. And that's what I mean by the objective truth. The truth of the word is this. God is near to us in our weakness, in our loneliness, the times we may feel him the least, he's in fact hearing us and strengthening us. There's something about finding time 
alone with him that changes everything. There's a, we have a problem with truth and perception. God's word is true. Often our perception is incorrect. Third thing, worship is primary. So we have our Father who art in heaven. In fact, the Greek, as I found out, the Greek word for heaven is actually the word heavens, and it actually is talking about the air all around us. And so when we talk about God as Father being near to us, it's like he's in the air all around us. It's, he's not some distant force. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Worship as primary. And so again, this is a pattern for prayer. He is set apart. He's set apart. He's wonderful. And as we worship him, we take on his likeness. And so when we're struck with the wonder of God, we take on his likeness. And so the very characteristics that God has that define him, they become ours because, as we read in Scripture, the fruit of the Spirit becomes who we are identified with. The fruit of the Spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These, are, these describe God. When we worship Jesus, when we worship the Father, we become like him. And those become our attributes. They become how people view us. Remember, he said it's for the sake of others. People are going to know that we're more loving. They're going to know that we're kind, we're generous, and so on. So we tap into experiencing his love, his peace, his joy. It's those things that we tap into, and they become ours. <laughs> it was hilarious. Friday night, I was in St. John. I went to, uh, I was working at a concert at the Imperial Theater doing photography at uh, the David Miles show, Christmas show. Before the show, me and a friend were, we dined in fine style on Friday night, I want to tell you. We were at McDonald's. And I'm sitting there having my, shamelessly say, my double quarter pounder with cheese and fries. I know, it's disgusting. I kind of paid for it, but... Anyway, I'm sitting there, and I look over across, and I'm just, I'm just kind of eyeballing the room, you know? Maybe growing up in St. John, I always would go into places, sit with my back to the wall, kind of like, who's coming at me? But I noticed there was this young couple with their, what I would assume would have been their daughter. They would have been probably not even 30, and they were sitting there, and they were having their McMeal with their daughter, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go to the cash, and I want, to, I want you to get them a gift card for McDonald's. And I was like, really? It's like, this food? You know? And uh, I was like, yeah, sure. So I went up to the counter, and I said, 
could I get a gift card for McDonald's, please? And she said, sure. So she gave me a, a gift card. She goes, oh, we're going to give you this gift card, and we also give you these coupons for free Big Macs. And I'm like, cha-ching, like touchdown. And so I had these coupons, the receipt that proves how much money's on the gift card, and two coupons for Big Macs, and all this stuff. So, I'm, and I said, so now I've got to go up to this couple because I hadn't tell, told them anything. I go up, and I, I said, uh, excuse me, um, can I sit down just for a second? And they said, yeah, sure. So I sat down, and uh, I said, look, you're probably going to think I'm crazy, but I really don't care. I'm sitting there having my meal, and I just felt like God told me to go and buy you guys a gift card from McDonald's. And so here it is. And then he looked at me, and he just shook my hand, and and they were both, and she goes, oh, my, my daughter just loves coming to McDonald's. I said, well, you can take her a few more times. So he, I've got to go, I'm in a rush, but God bless you guys. And he goes, oh, God, God bless you guys, you. And anyway, but it was just one of those things. And it, I only say this not to, not, to, I'm, not to illustrate how good a person I am. I'm just saying, it's like generosity is one of the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm finding that as I spend more time with Jesus in his presence, that some of these things are beginning to rub off on me at 62 years old, finally. This is what Tim Keller says about worship. Tim Keller, one of my heroes, he says this, to hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy toward God, and even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer to get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things as in how successful we are or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy, when life is going smoothly and our truest heart treasures seem safe, it does not occur to us to pray. Seldom or never do we spend time, sustained time, adoring and praising God. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. Ouch. So you see, folks, what we're doing is we're setting aside time to adore and to worship our Father who is near to us. We worship him because my source of well-being is my Father. He's not just my provider. He is my source of emotional strength, of my physical strength even, my psychological strength, my spiritual strength. He is the full picture. He is all of it. And that's why with this teaching this morning, we're starting with those first few points rather than talking about God being our provider and fulfilling our needs and all that. There's a reason why Jesus put our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, at the beginning and not at the end. We start there. Lastly, your prayers matter. Your kingdom come, your will be done. 
Jesus, for Jesus, prayer changes reality. Prayer changes reality. We are not simply praying fatalistically. We're not just assuming that, oh, well, to be fatalistic about it is to say, whatever happens, happens. Oh, well, what will be, will be. That's fatalism. For Jesus, prayer changes things, changes situations. Prayer brings heaven to earth. That's what Jesus was saying. We become partners with the Spirit of God in changing circumstances. Oftentimes, the circumstance we change is the circumstance of our heart so that we orient our heart toward the unchanged physical circumstances around us. But sometimes, just sometimes, things change because we pray. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the things change around you because you pray, because you are communing with God and that we are saying, God, we need your kingdom to come in this See, the confidence that Jesus had in prayer should give us confidence. Look at what Jesus did. The scriptures say clearly that we'll do greater things. Now, I heard a really helpful commentary on this about a month ago that the greater things, the reason that we he said, well, me? Me do greater things than Jesus. And said, the reason why that's true is because his presence is manifested in the church, millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon people since Jesus, who have expressed his kingdom and done great things. So greater things. In fact, Jesus said, it's better that I go, because if I go, then my presence can be with every one of you, because you are indeed temples of the Holy Spirit. So we partner with God. You see, should encourage us. Almost finished. Dallas Willard says this about prayer. God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he's going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. Wow. See, God changes things in prayer. He does it. So to wrap up, to recap, all of this is a framework and a template for your own prayer life. He's our Father. He's close to us. He's to be enjoyed and worshipped. And your prayers matter. My prayers matter. Personal situation not long ago in our family, something was going on. I can't share it at the moment. And one morning, I just felt this thing rising up in me. It's like, like, I've placed you as 
and I've placed you as an authority in your home over your entire family. I want you to lift this prayer request up as an authoritative prayer from you to me. And I prayed it with authority, and a week later, something shifted. Something changed, like an actual change. And I'm like, ooh. So I continue to pray, because one thing goes down, another thing comes up, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to continue to pray. And so your prayers matter, folks. This is our pattern. And so our homework Try this framework perhaps as a start. Perhaps you're saying, like, I don't have any kind of, like, nothing going on. Take 10 minutes. Combine what Joe said last week with this, what I've preached this morning. 10 minutes each day. It might even be 15, who knows? But you'll start to enjoy it. And we form a habit. And we, we have a practice that leads us to presence. Remember, we're going to the gym, folks. We're going to the gym every day, every day. We get into a practice and a habit, and it changes you. It does something to you, and God does something to you to change the lives of others. Can we stand and pray? Lord Jesus, this morning, we just lift up our hands to you, and we say that we need you. And... Father, we adore you. We've sung our adoration to you this morning, but we adore you as Father. And we say that you are close and you're near to us, closer than the air we breathe. Father, you promise that where two or three are gathered, you're right in the midst, and we know that you are here this morning. And we say that you're near. And Father, we adore you and we worship you would our lives be expressions of worship to you? And Father, would you hear our prayers? And would we participate with you and cooperate with you as we seek to bring heaven to earth? In Jesus' name, amen.